Hello and welcome to the AV Forums podcast for the 8th of October 2014 and joining me on this edition are assistant editor Steve Withers. I don't know what the hell's in there but it's weird and pissed off whatever it is. News editor Mark Hodgkinson. Maybe we at war with Norway. Games editor Mark Botwright. How long were you alone with that dog? And audio... <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> and audio reviewer Ed Selly. First goddamn week of winter. Uh, and it is. I've just put the central heating on. Welcome along to the weekly AV Forums podcast. And before we go any further, uh, we just have to mention that we are on holiday next week. Uh, so there will be no weekly podcast edition next week. Instead, you'll have the delights of the games team with the games edition of the podcast. And more on that a little bit later and uh, if you go looking for us next week the the short answer is we won't be there so back to this week and yet another slower than normal news week has passed us by but we did get an invite well Steve did uh, along to London to spend some time with LG's TV engineers and find out about their plans for OLED TV in the next year so Donning his cape and deerstalker, our inquisitive reporter Steve Withers headed to the foggy slough in search of the elusive creature known as OLED. Uh, and there were a bunch of them there, actually. Um, I don't know quite. What, what, what is point... the group name for OLED? Well, well, the collective noun for yeah, OLEDs. Yeah. <laughs> a non existent collection of OLEDs. Obviously, there were engineers from Korea there to talk to us about the benefits of OLED. Which we know already. I mean, you know, we've been talking about OLED for how long, Phil? Five years? Eight years? <laughs> Maybe. We were, we were at the launch of their first OLED screens two and a half years ago. Um, we've reviewed two OLED screens. We know OLED's really good. Just will you please make the damn things and put them in the shops at a reasonable price? That's all we want, really want. But it was interesting that they went through um, in, in some detail how they actually produce OLED panels. Their approach compared to other people's approaches. No names, but um, you can guess who they were referring to. And... Um, you know, it, it's, it looks as though, certainly from the way that they were speaking, that they have found a, a way of making OLED screens that they think is viable in terms of the number of the yields, which they said weren't as good as LCD panels, but were considerably better than they were um, before and getting better. So their assumption is that you know they, they can produce decent-sized numbers of these product of these um, panels, and therefore hopefully sell them at a realistic price that will appeal to not just in, um, hardcore enthusiasts but the mass market in general. It looks as though their current. Um, they also said they could retool LCD pa- um, production facilities, which is, I guess, more economic from their point of view. I mean, one of the big problems with OLED has been to get to this point, they've had to invest a, uh, an absolute ton of money, uh, and a lot of other manufacturers either, either aren't in the position to do that because they don't have the money. And I'm looking at the at the Japanese manufacturers. Well, here, really. well Panasonic basically said that. Look, it's yeah. going to it's going to take a huge investment, and uh, we're trying to get our TV division back in the black. So. Um, Mm. we won't be making that investment by and producing televisions that don't do black <laughs> uh, yeah more or less but it makes some money so uh, you know you got to look at it from that yeah, point so they, they can't afford to invest Samsung don't want to uh, for whatever reason maybe because they, they sort of bet, bet on a different approach and it didn't work out as well or and they certainly wouldn't there's no way Samsung are going to like use LG panels or LG, LG technology so Whatever reason, the only people the only manufacturer that's still uh, heavily investing in OLED is um, LG and um, you know they are taking a bit of a gamble. You know, but but if are it they? Takes off, it could pay off really well for them. But, it doesn't. But are they? Are they? Are they taking a huge gamble because they're selling their panels to other manufacturers? So yeah, certainly they they, were, they mentioned to us that they were selling obviously to Chinese manufacturers, um, and that's a big market. So you know the three major Chinese manufacturers are all buying OLED panels from LG Display, who make the panels for everyone, including LG themselves. 
and I, I believe, and you can correct me on this one, Phil, but the biggest manufacturer of panels in the world now. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, they've certainly there's certainly markets there, and in terms of pricing, you know, when you think that the uh, when we, when El, when OLED finally hit the shops, uh, which would have been, I guess, about a year ago. Um, you know, in, I mean, I know they said they had them in shops before that, but in really, I mean, really in the shops, actually able to buy them in somewhere other than Harrods or something. You mean, you mean someone like a DSG Group premises? <laughs> yeah, quite. Um, I think it was six nine 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 when it first hit the stores. A fifty-five inch curved OLED, uh, full HD, and that particular model can now be picked up for two grand in uh, certain retailers. And that's a right. So we do. So would you rescue your two grand on it? Sorry. Would you go and no, buy I one? I don't know. I mean, if I was buying a new TV, I, I, I maybe would. Yeah. It was, I mean, I reviewed that TV. I thought it was excellent. I mean, the, it is a reference image. No question about it. And um, Yeah, but how, I long, think you, how long is it going to be a reference image, though? Well, quite. Um, in terms of lifespan, since you bring it up, Phil, the engineers said that they, they think that um, their approach to OLED means that they have a, a, a lifespan of uh, an, an optimum performance of, of at least 30,000 hours. Maybe more like fifty thousand when they're being used in things like movie mode or cinema mode, uh, where they don't dry the panels as hard, which you know is a good reason for putting your TV in movie or cinema mode. Um, and after that, they said they'll, they'll start to you know that you might get some decay in terms of the uh, particularly blue, but in terms of the color accuracy. Um, but certainly thirty thousand to fifty thousand hours that's a, that's long enough for any TV to last. I mean that's a significant time. Yeah, if if you believe the yeah. numbers there, because they don't have any hard data to back that up, do they? You'd have thought so. I mean, they've been developing this for a number of years now. But they did say that in terms of image retention and screen burn, which again is something people are worried about. They did say maybe people have commented on seeing it perhaps on on, on demo models, you know, demo demo screens, this kind of stuff, where they've been playing the same thing over and over again for months. Um, you might get some, but they said that with their new TVs, when you have it in standby mode, there's a screen wash feature that actually does um, stop it from developing any image retention or screen burn. So they seem confident that they'd last a long time and you wouldn't suffer from screen burn or image retention. You know, you could say, well, they would say that, wouldn't they? But um, that's what their, their engineers said. Um, they've got the new, their new, the latest version of, there's a later generation, if you like, of OLED is coming out anytime now. In fact, I think it's already available because I saw it advertised in Richard Sounds for about, uh, I think it was 3999, 55-inch full, full, um, full HD, we're curved and with um, WebOS. And again, that's not an outrageous price for what is effectively new tech. Um, in November, they'll be launching their 65-inch 4K OLED, curved again. Uh, that was originally muted at, muted at sort of um, uh, 5.999. It's actually going to be 6.499. Um, six and a half grand is a lot of money, granted. But for 65-inch OLED, 4K OLED, not outrageous. Uh, and I mean, you could expect to see that price drop very significantly next year. Uh, and next year, of course, they'll also be launching 55-inch 4K and 77-inch, along with that bendable 77-inch TV, the one that can either be flat or curved, depending on your on your preference. Um, but I should imagine that will not be cheap. Um, so you could say that, you know, that the sort of um, trying to convince us on the benefits of OLED, that was a bit pointless. We already knew that. I mean, so, you know, better blacks, obviously, you know, an infinite contrast ratio. When it goes black, it's completely black. Color accuracy is excellent. One interesting point they made was that in the color accuracy at in darker scenes is much better when compared to LCD, superior to LCD. Obviously, all the benefits that they were promoting were compared to LCD. I mean, there's no point really comparing it to plasma because plasma doesn't exist anymore as a, a new, you know, as something you can buy in the shops. 
Um, and a lot of their, their digs were obviously aimed at Samsung and their claims of being able to produce LCD panels that were superior to OLED. Yeah, I was going to say they're not the only ones Panasonic yeah, no, are trotting no, no, that no. line as well. You know, so. <laughs> um, and until we see the 902, we've got to take a, what they're saying with a pinch of salt. But mm-hmm. we've certainly seen what Samsung have got to offer this year. And they're mighty fine TVs, um, but I, I don't think they're anywhere near OLED, are they, Hodge? No. No, they're not. I mean, they've all been very high standard, and just generally that they've up their game this year with the LEDs from a you know from a from a decent start anyway. But no, they're not. They just can't. They haven't got the natural characteristics to to match OLED, and it's all trickery to to try and mimic you know what OLED and and well plasma really can do. So yeah, uh, no, they'll never get there. I mean, for me, LCD has always been a um, a flawed technology, and every new development with LCD has always been fix the flaws with that technology. And so anything new that they bring out is usually a fix with a flaw that that exists with the technology, and it baffles me that that technology's won out and plasmas died a death. It's because they're very good at taking those flaws and turning them into marketing attributes, aren't they? Yeah, that's true. Getting pressed with you know sixteen hundred uh, scanning rates and you know, micro dimming pro and all the yeah you know, all these this terminology. Like you say, it's just to get around the inherent weaknesses of it. So, I mean, OLED. We're having a bank on LG at the minute. If you're an enthusiast um, to push this market forward, they are selling their panels to other manufacturers who have yet to show their hand. And I, I would imagine um, CES onwards, we might see some hands. Uh, being shown um, with LG panels with uh, other manufacturers electronics on the back um, but it's not just OLED panels that, that uh, are being bought by other manufacturers they seem to be changing their business models especially the Japanese manufacturers where they're just buying in the best they can find at the minute Steve yeah I guess it makes sense doesn't it from a, from a you know an economic perspective why invest heavily and have your own production facilities to create the pan- make the panels when you could just shop around and buy them from somebody else at less cost, and pick the ones that you like and that suit your needs. I mean, it's that's obviously what um, Toshiba, Panasonic, to well, Samsung uh, do it do. as well, don't they? Yeah, well, they do it as well. I mean, everyone does Most it. Most their panels off AUO, don't they? So, um, you know, LG themselves will buy their panels from LG Display, who are, operates a separate company, right? Phil. So there's, yeah. there's, um, you know, it's everyone does it. Why not? It makes perfect sense. I mean, having a facility, a massive factory, making. Um, Panels, you know, is is an is a risk to a certain extent. And interesting that TP Vision <laughs> are building one in Taiwan to uh, make their own panels, to give them the option. Although they still wouldn't rule out buying from third parties themselves. It, it is quite risky, especially the LG one, where if you stand on the roof, you can actually see North Korea. <laughs> You're on the border. Well, I mean, look at poor old Panasonic. How much did they invest in pan and plasma production facilities, and then yeah, some of them were never well, even used, were they? Th- that was the most impressive thing I've ever seen in my life when I visited that site. And and the sad thing is that the majority of that site is now gone. Mm. Um, it's it's been changed into into other other facilities, but it, it was so big that it had a motorway running through the middle of it. <laughs> I mean, that just gives you an idea of the scale of this place. Unbelievable. Um, but sadly, you know, all gone now. And, and one of the new factories that I saw when I went out there, um, it only lasted a month or two after I'd been there. Maybe it's the curse of me going to these things. Maybe maybe they shouldn't invite me out. But um, yeah, that was making IPS panels and they closed that down and started buying IPS panels in. Um, um, a serious question, whilst, whilst we're on this sort of farming out and, and selling to other manufacturers, 
When you buy in one of these customer panels, I mean, is there any leeway at all for you to do anything to it? I mean, can it be attached to different picture processing systems? Oh, yeah, 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 totally, totally. So all, you all do the get, doing. So we would, it, it's not just a case of you can buy an LG TV or an LG TV with a different badge on no, it. No, no, it no. What, what, all they're doing is buying, to, they're buying the panel in. That's all they're doing. All they're doing is buying the panel. Everything right. else that drives that, all the electronics, all the video processing, everything else is is that manufacturers. So it does all, set an important base level for performance, though, doesn't it, the, the particular it, it, panel? It does, because if it's an IPS, it'll be it'll be good off-axis, but it'll have shocking contrast ratio, whereas if it's a UA, you know, a VA panel, it'll have good black levels, but shocking off-axis. And there's nothing that the manufacturers can do to, to get around those issues with, with the panels, but they can add their own picture processing and, and everything else into that, how they're going to drive the unit and so on. Right. Okay. So it's not all bad then. Oh no, no. I mean, it makes, but that's why it makes perfect business yeah. sense. Yeah. It's, to it's, to me, it's actually it's, a good idea. I yeah. Think, you know, you buy in the best, the best, um, well, the best panels, the best electronics and stuff, and you you try to make the best out of that. And um, I think it could be quite successful for some companies that are currently deep in the red, and they might actually start making some money. Well, I mean, we have to hope they do start making some money because I'm assuming if they don't, they'll be able to get shut down. Well, I mean, you just have to look at um, Panasonic's CEO at the moment. He he won't take any any risks. So if if something's not making money, and and he's proven that with plasma, no, get rid of it. Not making money, get rid of it. Invest in something else. Interestingly, um, sorry, the LG uh, Korean engineers. Uh, we did ask about plasma. I said, you know, what's the score there? And they said, yeah, we stopped producing them. We said, quite frankly, because we can't get components anymore. Um, so. I mean, that's it now. I mean, plasma is totally dead in terms of anyone producing anything because they were. They said they actually did have a really good market for selling um, their plasmas into places like Brazil. They were very popular, um, and they would have happily continued making them for those kind of markets if they could find the components. But they can't. And I got the impression they buy a lot of their stuff off of off of Panasonic. I think what they were, you know, sort of inferring. Um, so, in terms of the, the whole visit, I mean, yeah. It, Obviously, we all understand the benefits of, of uh, OLED. They sh- they showed us they had um, uh, a curved OLED. Well, well, hang on. You you're saying that, and you're jumping to uh, assumptions there, Steve. I think well, because I just you, because you're, think, you're thinking about it from an enthusiast's point of view. So let's ask Mark Botwright. Mark, how much uh, exposure have you had to OLED, and what do you understand being the benefits of the technology? Um, well, pretty much everything that's that's been said. The primary one, obviously, being black levels. Um, but it seems like, I mean, because I've been doing this podcast for a while, that I've been kind of exposed to, you know, a little bit like radiation, um, high levels of, <laughs> of <laughs> for a long time. Um, it, it's been on the horizon, and I think just speaking as someone who's who's less inclined to to run out to upgrade a screen quite so quickly, um, I, I think, well, I kind of got to applaud how LCD is kind of had this long tail given the kind of deficiencies in its technology. The fact that, you know, as has been said, virtually everything that can be tacked on to kind of make up for a deficiency has been marketed in such a way that most people generally do think that plasma was just an outdated technology. Yeah, very true. What was interesting in the demos, and and this is uh, to LG's credit, I think, is they had uh, a curved, uh, one of their curved OLED screens against next to two curved Ultra HD, so it was a full, full HD curved OLED against two Ultra HD curved LCD panels. 
Um, they didn't mention the, the manufacturers, but you could kind of see. And uh, they also had one of their flat OLEDs, taking out the ones that come in that gallery with the picture frame, with the speakers in the picture frame. They took it off the picture frame, obviously, and just put that on the wall. So it was a flat OLED, full HD, against two flat ultra HD 4K TVs. And whilst, you know, the images, they were being fed uh, full HD images. So on, on the Ultra HD, you, know, you, you kind of got a perception in more detail because of the, uh, the high-resolution panel and the, degree, and the degree of sort of processing and sharpening that they, they bring to that. But I've got to say, in terms of image quality, I much preferred, obviously, the look of the OLED screen because it just looked so much more that, that The images were look better, the black, the dynamic range, the color accuracy. It was vastly superior in that sense, and you really could see the difference. Um, and then when we had a chance to actually see a 4K OLED, the 4 to 65 inches coming out next month, um, with 4K content, it was absolutely stunning. You know, and you really think, yeah, this is, I mean, f- I think for any but any enthusiast, that's the holy grail of television technology at the moment. Whether uh, LG can then get the mass market and the average consumer to buy into OLED is a different question entirely, because there's going to be some confusion out there when you, after spending the last five years, telling them they've been buying LED TVs. Yeah, and I guess that's, uh, the position as a vendor, LG display position as vendor is quite important there, because the more the more manufacturers they get it out to, the more names they get it out to, I guess the, uh, the consciousness spreads, doesn't it? Yes. And from our perspective, competition's always good too. You don't want just one manufacturer dominating, because then you won't get price reductions. Ed, you've been quiet. Well, it's, I mean, yes, there's an, a degree of rod for its own back, in terms of yeah, the the, the uh, casual interchangeability of LED and OLED um, is going to is yeah it's going to prove a problem, especially when there's only one manufacturer going. Hang on, there is actually a difference, and if anyone else doesn't want to bother with OLED, they go no, not at all. Especially as it's further blurred by people going to the effort and monumental pointlessness of making curved LEDs. But, um, I mean, I, I still anticipate, however naively, that the replacement for my current television will be an OLED set. I mean, if it has to be an LG one, then so be it. But we'll see what, what comes of it. I think it's going to be interesting in as much that I, I, I don't... I, I'm intrigued to hear that there's already one of the... The, the original LG OLED is down to 2K um, in terms of pricing. Because it struck me as an opportunity television manufacturers to actually try and build something and retain a degree of margin on it which isn't necessarily great news in an immediate sense for us as consumers but it's it's actually good news in so much as it allows them to continue uh, and to make money and to produce products which are strive to be strive to be excellent and not you know strive to hit a certain price point and get hacked to death in in the process of having that that price point further reduced and it would appear that for whatever reason that's already not happening so you know we'll have to see we'll have to see how it goes um if it's reduced to being another zero margin product and it's much more effort than making an led television it broadly speaking is doomed yeah i guess that's a valid point i think as phil said earlier ces would be interesting to see i a what lg have on offer but also how many other manufacturers jump on the bandwagon i, I guess the other thing we've got to look at here is uh, why did plasma fail you know, plasma was the best picture quality. Um, so why were the public not rushing out and buying plasma TVs for the best picture quality? Well, they couldn't go as bright in the showroom for one thing, and they couldn't, they didn't look as cool. Which OLED's got, it can do both, can't it? It can go as bright as LED but, or brighter, yeah. but and can look cooler. But you can curve an LED LCD TV. Yeah, you yeah. can make it look thin. You can have a nice design on that. So why are you going to pay the extra for an OLED? Are are, are the public going to pay for picture quality? 
They haven't done so far, have they? <laughs> Even though in all those um, market, you know, market research questions, they always seem to put picture quality as a top thing. It's like, oh, the most important thing. Yeah, when it comes down to it, it's the price. <laughs> price is really important. And I think that ultimately will be how OLED wins or loses. You know, if, if LG and whoever else makes them can get the price at the right point, um, then it'll be fine But um, and get the message across. I mean, you're right, Phil. I mean, there's no point telling enthusiasts or us how good OLED is, you need to tell the, 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 you know, the um, average consumer how good OLED is and, and get across the fact it's got better blacks and a wider dynamic range and you know, more accurate colours and wider um, viewing angles and, and faster response times and somehow get that across as a message. Although I guess, you know, it is when you see one, they look great. I mean, th there's certainly no question when you put it next to any other TV. You know, you could clearly see uh, against um, the LCD TVs they were against it last week, you know, where they had things like, you know, on, on WebOS they got the little... Um, uh, cursor thing, well, against a black background, you know, there was obvious haloing around those that cursor on the LCD panels, and of course with the OLED it was pitch black and then just a clear sharp um, cursor. Um, those kind of things do stand out pretty quickly when you when you do a side by side comparison. So I mean, it's interesting to see how they make them because that's something that perhaps we haven't covered in much detail in the in the past. Magic, uh, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Diff difficult. I think is the right answer. Um, and and their approach and how how, how it differs from the artist's approaches and, and you know it certainly sounds like they feel at least that they've got a a way of doing it that you know is viable and and can support a mass market product. So I mean I think from that perspective I came away from that meeting feeling quite you know quite enthusiastic about it and, and and you know optimistic about the future of OLED in a way that perhaps I wasn't before. But you are an enthusiast. <laughs> true, true. I'm, I'm hopelessly uh, hopelessly biased. And, and, uh, I, I have I have real concerns for it. The, 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 and my concerns stem from from the same concerns I have for Dolby Atmos. Um, you know, it's it's selling it to the public and it's getting it in front of the public. And you know, we dis we discussed this last week with projectors. You know, you know public have a um, uh, they don't really have a view on projectors because they haven't had one demonstrated to them properly. And uh, you know, I think if more people see the technology, more people's going. But are are the general public going to be interested? This is my concern and. When you're talking about things like 4K and so on, what what's going to make them buy a 4K OLED over a 4K LCD TV? Well, yeah. you know that comes down to, at the end. It, it comes down to the point of sale, doesn't it? I, I, so much so of this is better, better on margin on the LCD then. Well, I mean, why did plasma fail? Partly because I think manufacturers, I'm sorry, not manufacturers, retailers seem to push LCD more than they did plasma. And there was all this, you know, bullshit about, you know, uh, regassing and and screen burn and all this kind of stuff and, and negative. Um, uh, comments about plasma in in stores which i've heard people say you've heard people say in stores there was a it seemed to me as though the retailers were deliberately pushing one technology over the other why i'm not quite sure maybe there was more margin in it for them um and that's another reason why plasma didn't succeed in the way it should have given its superiority in terms of picture quality okay let's move things along then um so you're either going to go out and buy a big screen oled or a big screen 4k led tv or a projector where are you going to sit uh, is the big question, and let's go to Hodge with this one. Uh, Hodge, where are you going to sit to get the best uh, viewing experience? Bang in the middle, as close as possible. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's always been my philosophy. Now, joking apart, that is the best, the best place, the, 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 the position that fills your uh, field of view the most, uh, where you can sit in comfort and, and you, you're centrally aligned. So, joking about that, that is where. But Steve produced uh, an article over the weekend. Um, with some actual data 
Uh, and what, where was that first graph from, Steve? Is it was that a THX one or? Um, um, SM- I don't think it was actually THX. It was just some research body had done some research into viewing angles, distances. I, I think generally though, I did research. You know what THX were recommending, and they, they all kind of followed the same basic guidelines. So there was a they're all the same. If you look at SMT, yeah. THX, yeah. ITU, they all, they all have the same yeah. viewing distances, viewing angles, and 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 so on. Um, which is all interesting stuff, uh, but the thing is that most living rooms ain't going to be laid out perfectly like that. No. And uh, you know, unless unless you have a dedicated room where you could put the seat in where it should be to get the most um, from the resolution and from the screen size and so on, it, it's a bit hit and miss. But it's nice to give some guidelines because then I guess people can mix and match and try and try and put the seating in in the best possible position for. A, the display, and, and B, the technology, because I'm thinking, well, if you've got an LCD TV, and if it's not an IPS panel, the last place you want to be sitting is off-axis, you know, off to one no, side with, with yeah. something like that. So it's not just your viewing distance, it's viewing angles and, and, and so on as well. So uh, that's up on the front page at the minute. Um, Ed, does this apply to, to speakers nowadays? Is there still advice being given out where you should be sitting between two speakers and so on? And well, Distance yes. Um, I mean, stereo still hasn't changed radically in this regard. And uh, I mean, the, the the only variance that, that we get in stereo that televisions, well, I don't know, actually, with curved ones, who knows, it might be changing. Obviously, with, te- with, with speakers, you're, the tri- the, all points of the triangle are flexible. You can both move the speakers inboard and outboard and then also adjust the level of toe in on them as well. So you get more flexibility to create that triangular point if you like the 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 triangle is reversed um or or or, no you see ask ask a simple question of a hi-fi nut and they'll give you (laughs) a really long complicated answer ultimately (laughs) we've got it easier than television people both speakers even when they're big are easy enough to move around and then they can also rotate on their own axis which means that you get more flexibility to create create a listening position but generally speaking the one thing it does have in common is don't you know fire fire down the corner of a room that just doesn't work desperately well or yeah. hide a speaker behind the sofa in the same way that doesn't work very well for a television and of course hodge the the, the important thing here um that we seem to be missing out and we should always mention it first of all straight away is the room itself yeah absolutely it's going to have the biggest impact almost uh on your viewing um and we did something on, on bias lighting as well at the same time the uh, Steve's piece went up. Um, and it's the importance of getting, getting the comfortable uh, and neutral lighting in your room. So bias lighting is uh, it's an ambient lighting for uh, your viewing room that goes behind the display uh, specifically. So uh, hence the name bias, I believe. Uh, and no, no, that is bias lighting and not biased lighting as not Steve like has written in. The, I put biased in there. <laughs> lighting with an agenda. Um <laughs> So, so, yeah, I mean, I've been using it for years. I'm sure, I'm sure you... Uh, is everyone using it here? Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've got one right now, right behind the, the monitor that I'm looking at, so it stops my eye from straining because I'm... It's a, it's yeah, it's a really days. cheap way of upgrading your TV's picture. Um, it's good for your eyes. It relaxes your eyes because your pupils aren't uh, constricting and dilating constantly with the uh, changes of on-screen content. Um, it, it makes your TV look better. It, it tricks you, fools your eyes into thinking um, blacks are a bit deeper. Yeah. That your LCD TV's actually got some blacks. Actually, it's good, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it can be done, you know, you can spend thousands, you can spend hundreds, you can spend just a few quid, uh, experiment with cheap bulbs and the likes of B&Q, 
aim for something that's got a daylight D65 type rating. Well, I've actually got to say, uh, Tesco, uh, they do their own brand LED light. It's, it's, it comes in a grey plastic um, yeah. container, and it is bang on D65. There you go. There you go. And so bit, how and much is that? Nine quid a, a bulb. I go, oh, I'm going to stick that in the article, actually. <laughs> I didn't realise it was a specific <laughs> example. But I've been just using something from B&Q, which is very close to T65. It cost me 8.95 or something a couple of years ago. And, it, and it's, you know, it's, it's a fantastic picture upgrade and, and everyone should do it. There is no excuse if you, can now, fit, if you can fit a light behind it. You can even buy strips of lighting. So if you've got no room on your cabinet behind it, you can affix them to the, to the back of the panel. Um, now, Philips have been doing this for years. They've been doing yeah. Ambulite. Now, there are some differences here, people. Uh, with Philips... And correct me if I'm wrong, because they may have changed the technology, but you can just switch it to a white colour and leave it like that, yes? You can, yes. Yes, that's what you yeah. should be doing, people. Definitely. Do not put it on nightclub mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a dyna- these dynamic modes that react to the... Oh, they had one at the press conference this year at IFA, and I, no word of a lie, I was pissing myself laughing at it, because it did, it looked like the Ministry of Sound. Yeah. Uh, it was unbelievable. No, that's not bias lighting. It's people. impressive technically if you want to show off to your friends, but do not sit watch sit watching TV. So light. you're saying that you you can't stick Christmas lights behind then? <laughs> <laughs> it uh, not if the flash. You don't want anything flashy. You don't, don't want anything that is 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 going to affect VI. So you want something that that's on constantly all the time and is an, a neutral color. Um, so that's why we say D65. It's it's like sunlight. That that's technically where sunlight would would be. So not too yellow. Not too blue, kind of just right. Yeah. Goldilocks. Yeah, <laughs> the go- the, exactly. Well, that's what scientists call the the Earth's orbit, isn't it? The Goldilocks, the Goldilocks in, yeah. zone. Yeah. So there you go. It's mm-hmm. a, a nice neutral color um, behind the display. And like Mark says, if you've got a shit LCD TV, it suddenly looks all right. Yeah, half decent for a tenner. There you go. OLED's going to be killed by a nine-pound Tesla bulb. <laughs> you heard it here first. Well, we're full of good consumer advice on on the AV Forums podcast these days. It's not so on message. Um, it's virtually public broadcasting, isn't it? <laughs> don't, don't push it. <laughs> <laughs> it's something, Mark. I don't know what it is. It's hard to explain. It is. Uh, so, Ed, does biased lighting help with uh, sound quality? <laughs> But, um, uh, but, but I've, I've said before that um, I, I'm sort of affected, and a number of other reviewers have made mention of it in the past. Certain turntables, and there are other bits of equipment where it, it matters as well, certain bits of equipment are sufficiently visually distracting that they affect your perception of how they sound. So you can actually only appraise them with any degree of accuracy when they're squirreled away out of your sight line. Yeah, and, and scientifically that is bang on because... Um, you put anything behind a acoustically transparent material and you can't tell where it's positioned in the room. Fantastic way of assessing stuff then because you're not you're not looking at where the sound's coming from or you're not looking where where something is. You're not looking at the product. Big, big fan of that, that theory. I believe it 100%. Sure. I mean, it's just certain turntables um, are just so, you know, they are, you know, busy whirring away in front of you. They are massively distracting things and valve amplifiers are much the same as well you know they're a bit glowing and 
and, and doing all manner of stuff. So yeah, simply removing them from your sight line. I mean, there's a lot of arguments that people make that um, not having your electronics between your speakers has sound benefits. And depending on how appallingly I suppose it's shielded, I suppose that's just about possible. But certainly taking it out of your sight line does does have other psychoacoustic properties i think is that is the is the really really pretentious phrase so yeah there are definite definite bonuses to doing it that and, way and is there still bonuses to coloring in your uh, cds with a green marker <laughs> no <laughs> put them in the freezer. the freezer or putting them in the Aurelex cd toaster all of these things and more are a complete waste of time and money <laughs> um, so yeah, sorry. To yeah, but some thing. people have got an incredibly rich on the back of some of that stuff, haven't they? Oh, no, 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 no. As I say it's a free country. I, I don't, I don't. You know, I, I'm not. You know, all you know, ban this sick filth. If you genuinely <laughs> feel it makes your life better, then just knock yourself out. Just don't ask me to take you seriously when you do it. Simple <laughs> as that. Right. Let's uh, wrap up on the hardware with some upcoming uh, reviews. So, uh, games wise, what have we got coming, Mark? Um, well, Manny's FIFA 15 review has just gone up. Um, James's feature on uh, what is retro has also just hit the site. Um, Stee is doing a little article about the Destiny features we'd like to see. And hopefully by the time this potty goes up, uh, Niall's F1 2014 preview on the PC will be up. And Stee will be stuck into Middle Earth Shadows of Mordor on the PS4. Okay, and Steve, what have you got coming up? I've got the I've got another projector from Optoma, the GT1080, which uh, is is basically aimed more at the gamers. Mark, uh, right, but right, uh, it's a sort of a gaming projector. So idea, I guess, low input lag, um, 1080p resolution, but that um, very bright. That's gonna, I'm going to, I'm getting that this week to review. And on Thursday, I shall be at the uh, sort of a, a demonstration press launch for Trinov Audio's Altitude 32 Pre-Pro preamplifier and processor. This is uh, an Oro 3D and Dolby Atmos processor, um, which hopefully we'll also be getting in for review. Um, and this is basically the sort of you know, the nuts nuts of um, the nuts nuts of, uh, <laughs> of, of processors with um, 32 um, potentially 32 channels in total, uh, and includes both styles of um, you know, immersive surround sound. So that's a, that's a real niche market there of single men with plenty of money and plenty of room to shove speakers. Yeah, yeah. If, you, if you're using one of these, you're, it's definitely going into a custom install with, a, a, you could do, I think, it's something like 12 overhead speakers if you wanted to. Um, so two rows of six. <laughs> After and, you, and, I think is the phrase. I is, is the is the phrase that swims immediately to mind. If, um, if you got the room and the money, uh, it would. I'm sure it'd be absolutely awesome. Um, but uh, but um, yeah, it's going to be fairly niche. But anyway, that'd be interesting. Um, just sit, sit, hearing it and set up and, and getting a, a chance to play around with it. Um, and hopefully, we'll get that in for review for those of you who have a shed load of money or just like reading reviews of really expensive stuff like you know AV porn. Which let's be honest, we all do. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's just created a horrible image in my mind. It's rule 32. <laughs> uh, right, Mark, what have you got? Uh, i got a couple of Samsung 1080p TVs, the oldie 1080p, uh, an H7000, 46-inch, and another one, 6-series, <laughs> uh, 40-inch, 6400, I think, H6400. Uh, there are so many of them, sorry, there are so many. They should those. market them as that, ye oldie <laughs> 1080p TVs. Yes. <laughs> With wood surrounds. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and free Atari VCS. A big whirly tuning dial. Well, I, I, I did see a PS4 made out to look like an old Atari with a fake wood and, and stuff the other day, Mark. That looked quite nifty, retro I'd style. I'd buy that. Yeah, I'd buy it. Uh, right, and uh, Ed, what are we expecting at the end of the month? <laughs> <laughs> Last day of the month. Last day of the month. Um, well, you've obviously got my clutch of reviews that I actually handed in uh, last night to come. So they'll yeah, be. You spoke about that last week. I don't try and get out of yeah. it. <laughs> um, next up is I will now finally be getting round to my thoughts on Yamaha's uh, AX3040 Atmos receiver. Um, the review may or may not contain an actual test of Atmos. It depends if I can summon up the mental fortitude to watch Transformers. So, given has I'm the, not. Um, has the upgrade firmware update gone through yet? It's supposed to happen imminently. So, yes. we'll see how okay. we go from there. Um, there's the weirdly named and strangely wonderful uh, Noble Kaiser K10 earphone, which I briefly mentioned last week. Um, I can now mention the brand. Uh, that is yours for £1,000. Um, and I will try and pick through the thorny issue of uh, earphones that cost four figures <laughs> and work out where you need to sit in the uh, in the sanity roster for that one. And um, then I'm supposed to do an article, and no one has res- responded to our pleas last week for um, something for me to write about. Um, so you know, if you have any thoughts? You know, it's like set- so think about like setting a child a punishment essay. You know, 2,000 words on the inside of a ping-pong ball. I stress I'm not going to write 2,000 words on the inside of a ping-pong ball, but if you've got something that, you know, you, you'd like to anyway. talk about, I'll... <laughs> 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 uh, see what it is. And there will undoubtedly be something else that blows my frock up that um, I will try and review for this month. Um, I've actually, was saying, I, I, I arrived a bit sort of sweaty and unkempt or more sweaty and unkempt than usual at the start of this podcast because i'm busy changing over my listening room which will mean it is easier to get review speaker packages in and out so hopefully we can i can uh, increase the number of those that i do as well so we'll see where we go from there i'm just trying to think of a feature suggestion well don't do that i think as i think you're talking about in the games because i'm coming to you next oh crap <laughs> Moving on to games news for this week, and I've got a funny feeling uh, there isn't much, Mark, because you will be recording the games podcast, hopefully at some point this week. Uh, it goes out next Tuesday on the 14th, uh, will be the only podcast that goes out next week, so you've got the whole week to yourself. So what are we likely to find within the games podcast? I hadn't expected that question. Uh, well, well, we're... Watch this space. <laughs> I think it's the best we can say at the moment. Um, you know what? You, you do one a month. You got a whole month to plan these things. But we're still finalising the running. Do they order. sound like they're planned? <laughs> oh, oh, cutting. cutting. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying this is planned either. By the way, <laughs> clearly. Well, this clearly isn't planned. But there you go. I thought we yeah, were going to do, the... do four of them. Yeah, I thought we were going to talk about the uh, rumor live thing. I don't know what that is. Uh, what, what's that? Really, <laughs> then, Mark? But yeah, the link that Hodge sent. No, Hodge uh, sent out that link. Yeah, and then I, I replied and said, "Yes, I think that would be a good idea." <laughs> it was the world's most expensive whack-a-mole system, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. 
six projectors yeah, mounted up on the, on the roof to oh, create they, they, like so, an augmented... So this sounds as viable as Atmos then? Well, you mix it with Atmos and you're going to have real, some real fun. So there's six, six roof-mounted... Mark's supposed to be doing this bit, but anyway. Six roof-mounted projectors, uh, all with their own Kinect sensors that creates like this augmented reality room. Um, Microsoft been working on this for years, haven't they, Mark? With, um, they said they were ditching it, didn't they, actually, originally? No, the, actually, um, I've just seen a couple of photographs pop up on my Twitter feed at this moment in time. Well, it's it's kind of falls in line with what we were talking about with biased lighting. Um, originally, <laughs> there are lights involved. No, no, no. Well, no because involved, that's handy. If you'll let me finish, sorry. Thank you. No, it, it's simply because this came out of their their um, Illumirum idea. Microsoft research. They were looking into kind of things to do with the Connect sensor. And originally, it was um, like a projected image onto the wall around, and it created ambient lighting. It could be <laughs> to do with, um, you know, uh, what what was going on in the game. Things could be projected into the room. And so they've kind of taken that idea and kind of just bolted on as many different cameras and um, projectors as possible to create this 360-degree space. So basically, they've invented this connection. It's like, oh, what the f*** are we going to do with this thing? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> But there again, it's good that they're doing this because, I mean, even though neither seems to be ever likely to hit retail, it's kind of what all, you know, mega corporation tech R&D is, which is it seems superfluous in the interim. But at a given point, it will kind of underpin the consumer technology of tomorrow. Yeah, I'd agree. But it does look crap, doesn't it? I mean, if you're, if you're, it's the worst looking game I've ever seen. Well, no, well I mean, the, the thing is, as soon as, you stand, <laughs> as soon as you stand in front of the projector to whack something, you cast a shadow and the thing disappears. No, because there'd be other projectors at different parts of the room that would Well, not, not in the photograph I'm looking at. Oh, she's, right. she's casting a huge bloody shadow over the whole game. There is that problem. It, there will be. It, it's, it's designed to be overlapping, obviously, so that you can get this kind of, you know, surround image. But yes, there, there is that minor issue and the fact that you have to kind of rig it up to a joist along with your Atmos speakers if you want, you know, and re <laughs> reinforced girders in your ceiling. And obviously, you know, that's so you can get it surrounded and obviously also so that you don't turn around and stare straight into a projector and blind yourself. <laughs> You know, I, I think they're really pushing this niche with a single bloke that's able to do this in his house. Just go to Laser Quest. <laughs> yeah, basically. Is that the games news? That's games news. What's at the cinema, Steve? This week, it's Gone Girl, the new film from David Fincher, uh, based upon the best-selling novel of the same name. And this is a biting satire on the nature of modern media and the internal workings of a failing marriage with a twist-laden kidnapping murder mystery plot thrown in for good measure. And I've got to say, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, ben Affleck stars in it as a husband whose wife, played by Bosman Pike, disappears. Um, there's a police investigation into it. Um, and I don't want to give too much away, but basically there's a story, um, the investigation into her disappearance. And, and coupled with um, diary entries she's made about how their relationships evolved from when they first met up to the point of her disappearance. And then things go off at a tangent. Um, it's great. It's really, really fun. Um, the plot's kind of very Hitchcockian in the sense that you know, you've, you've got lots of twists and turns and suddenly the whole plot takes a different turn. Um, and a very interesting ending. What I will say is if you're going to go and see it with your girlfriend or wife and your relationship isn't particularly solid, don't go. Because mm -hmm. it's it, it really have, makes some very pointed comments about relationships and marriage. And um, there was a lot of knowing laughter in the audience at some points. Uh, 
but I, I personally thought it was great. The cast is very good. Fincher, as always, direction's impeccable. It looks gorgeous. It's beautifully shot. Um, it's um, it's it's an 18 certificate, which is unusual these days, I and mean, for a couple of reasons, there's some some sex scenes and a, a very graphic murder. Uh, and a bit of strong language, but um, but I personally really enjoyed the movie. I thought it was excellent. It was very thought provoking. Came away from it at the end. Um, I think Kaz was a little harsh. I think he may miss the point slightly in his review. He gave it seven out of ten. I'd have given it more like eight or nine out of ten. I thought it was a, one of the best ones I've seen this year in terms of um, both enjoyment and you know, plot wise. Um, and yeah, I, I, like I said, if, if if you're a fan of Fincher, go and see it. If you if you're a fan of the book, you want to go and see it. The book and the movie's ending is slightly different. Apparently, I haven't actually read the book though. And, uh, you know, if you just want to see an enjoyable um, sort of mystery thriller um, with some very cutting comments about modern life thrown in for good measure, go and see it. Uh, but if you're going with your girlfriend or wife and you're not getting on at the moment, don't. <laughs> go on your own. Unless you want to come out of the cinema and get divorced straight afterwards. Well, if you're not getting on in the first place, then you won't be going to the pictures, will you? Probably true. Yeah, probably. Maybe, maybe you think our goes the movies as a way of trying to salvage our relationship. Right, it, won't work, it won't work. It's a good <laughs> marketing line, though. Take your wife and leave alone. <laughs> it's very, and I've got to say, Rosamund Pike is very good in it. In what I think probably for her is easily the biggest role she's ever had, and um, and certainly her best performance. She's she's, she's great. But it's, it's a brilliant film. There, there are lots of really good plot twists. Some of which you might see coming, but some of which you won't. Um, and um, yeah, uh, it's 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 you know, David Fincher. You can't go wrong with. It. I love I love Fincher. I think he's great. And uh, I know you know it would be a fantastic Blu-ray when it comes out too. It would be helpful if, if people went to the movies other than just me, because then we could sort of discuss it. I do go to the movies, but I only watch kids' movies. Yeah. <laughs> that could be a new feature. So if I was covering box trolls, we'd be fine, wouldn't we? Yeah, we'll be up there. We're going, we're going to that at the weekend. <laughs> is that it? Is that, is that the whole movies thing? Yeah. Well, no. That's the, that's the cinema bit. <laughs> you sound disappointed, Mark. Well, usually it's my time for a pee break. Well, I can't say too much without giving away plot points. I don't want to, so... All right, so let's move on to Blu-rays released next week. Edge of Tomorrow, The Other Woman, uh, Penny, Deadfall Season 1, and the Steven Spielberg Collection. Tell us about that. Penny, Penny Deadfall? Did I write that wrong? No. Uh, dreadful? No, sorry, dreadful. dreadful so. <laughs> Edge of Tomorrow is the Tom Cruise star that came out early in the summer. Basically, it's Groundhog Day meets Starship Troopers. With Emily Blunt thrown in for good measure, so you can't really get wrong there. I should say I really enjoyed it. It's um, it's basically a guy who keeps dying and repeating the same sort of day of his life over and over again within this war. Um, it's, it's exciting. It's fun. It's clever. Um, it's quite funny in places. It uses the sort of the repeated um, sequence very effectively. It's a bit like it's not dissimilar to playing a video game in the sense when you get killed and you respawn, um, and does that quite cleverly. It's, um, it's probably the closest I've seen to a film capturing how how it is to play a game sometimes. But it's a really good movie. Tom Cruise is very good in it. Emily Blunt's very good in it. The effects are great. Direction by Doug Lyman is excellent. Uh, I think it'll probably be a fantastic Blu-ray. Um, so uh, probably worth picking up next week. And you can win a copy on Navy Forums. That's why we were talking about it last week, wasn't it? <laughs> yes. Oh, this was one of our many It's All Right Blu-rays, is it? <laughs> well, no, this was not the one I said. I said this was really good. It was the It's All Right. It's a bit of a ropey selection of Danny Boyle movies that we were learning about. So anyway, Edge of Tomorrow, you can win that. Uh, next one. The Other Woman, uh, which is a comedy with Cameron Diaz. And um, basically it's about a woman who's having a, a, having a relationship with a man but discovers he's married. 
uh, ends up becoming friends with his wife and then he's having an affair with another woman and they become friends and the three of them sort of join together to get the revenge on him for being such a philandering git um i actually say quite enjoyed it at the cinema went, went to see it with the girlfriend and and i mean i'm sure i thought it might be a bit of a chick flick but um actually it was really funny it hasn't had great reviews from other people but personally i think it's well worth seeing if only for kate upton who's got a magnificent set of bristols um Penny Dreadful, season one. I watched this on Sky when it was on a few month, a couple of months ago. I've got to say, I really enjoyed it. It's by John Logan, who um, co-wrote Skyfall, I believe, um, produced by Sam Mendes. And um, um, John Logan wrote the entire series, so it's, got, it's very consistent. And it's kind of taking literary characters from Victorian, Victorian fiction, like Dracula and um, Frankenstein and um king solomon's minds and various other characters like this and then um having them um exist in a in a, in a fictional world where, where they all work come together it, it's not dissimilar in that respect to i think alan moore's um the league of extraordinary gentlemen and it's done you know in, in, a, in a an enjoyably over-the-top victorian gothic way uh which i quite enjoyed and it's got a good cast it's got kim dalton um eve green uh, josh hartnett um um Worth seeing, I think, uh, if you haven't seen it on TV already. And, and it did; it was beautifully shot, so it probably looked very nice on Blu-ray. And then finally, the Steven Spielberg collection, which comes out next week, um, which includes a number of his famous films that are already available on Blu-ray, such as Jaws and E.T., but also includes four films that aren't available yet. Um, so unfortunately, to get the four films you want, you have to buy a box set of all the films you've already got. Um, but it's got Duel, Sugarland Express, the longer cut of 1941 and always. And then those four films have not up until now been available on Blu-ray. Um, so I'm planning on picking up for that reason alone. Um, Jewel is just fantastic. Jewel's fantastic. Sugarland Express uh, is, is okay as a first feature by a director. Always um, um, is a remake of a film called A Guy Named Joe, which is okay. 1941, I'm quite looking forward to seeing again because, you know, it's his one big flop. And, um, and, you know, but it has got a cast including John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd and various other people. So I think it, um, it's worthy of reappraisal, uh, particularly uh, on Blu-ray. So I'm, I'm quite looking forward to getting there next week. Isn't Pat, I mean, I was just thinking, Penny Dreadful, isn't that still on Sky On Demand? Yes, you can still watch it. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I know you'll get better picture on Blu-ray, and, and yeah, and if you desperately want to a lot, watch it, a lot of these, too. a lot of these TV series box sets, you know, you can watch for nothing on Netflix or watch on Sky. Or things. I mean, whether you buy them or not, it's down to if you're like Simon who refuses to stream anything, or you want the slightly better picture quality of Blu-ray. Obviously, it is going to be superior in terms of picture and sound. And certainly, it was a show that I think would benefit from uh, from being on Blu-ray. It was quite good. I mean, I I just kept on watching it and thinking that just Eva Green badly needed a sandwich. <laughs> um but yeah it was it was it was pretty good i i, I thought um i mean the, pro- the problem is that timothy dalton looked a little bit too much like he did in uh, hot fuzz um which was a problem in so much as i kept on assuming he was going to do something villainous but hilarious at, so at a given point but that subsided after a couple of episodes and it is i thought it was um pretty jolly good i enjoyed it I have nothing to say on the, any of those because I've not seen any. This is because we're recording in the afternoon. You have your nap a bit now, don't you? I am just, I'm, I am on the bed. That's what I'm getting. I'm quite comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty comfy right now. But no, I haven't seen any of those. Well, the, I, I, I did start with Penny Dreadful, like I say, but I was in the wrong frame of mind, and it was very late at night. So um, I, I never, I, I just never renewed it. I might go back and get it on Now TV if it's still there. There you go. Another glowing endorsement of what's out there on the market from the AV forums team. <laughs> we should change weird our weird badges. <laughs> Indifferent, meh, and it's passable. <laughs> Evie forums, meh, meh. 
<laughs> or, you know, you, at high price, it earns a... <laughs> 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 but no, as I say, um, I'm looking forward to the 100th episode of Wheeler Dealers this evening. Um, that's going to be good. <laughs> it's doing a, 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 like a car which is 100 years old, which is going to be most entertaining, I suspect. I haven't seen any of this series. So I just... I can't bring myself to pay money to Sky. Oh, uh, have you turned into Withers? Do you have a little vo- Rupert Murdoch voodoo doll? No, no. Actually, I'm, no. Sa- I'm saying all this, and obviously I've completely disconnected and powered off my Sky HD box. Before putting the, <laughs> and um, and I, I, there's always that slight moment of excitement with that when you plug it back in again as to whether it's actually going to turn back on again or just become a, a, a pointless <laughs> little plastic paperweight. So, you know, I may or may not join you in 24 hours. We'll see how we go. Uh, right, so before we're sidetracked there, uh, that, uh, those are the Blu-rays that are released next week. And uh, let's move on to our final little topic for this week, uh, which Steve has mentioned um, for a few months now in, in the running order, and we've just ignored it. Uh, but sadly, we've got nothing else on the running order to talk about, so we're going to have to do it. Uh, best movie remakes. Over to you, Steve. I think one of the reasons this came up was because uh, Mr. Botwright was asking if we could do quotes from um, John Carpenter's remake of The Thing which is what we have been quoting from in this week's podcast. And no question about it, the thing, his version of the thing is vastly superior to the film. It was re- I mean, the, the original thing's fun, uh, Thing from Another World, as it was actually called, is, is a fun film, but it's basically about a giant carrot, man-eating carrot going around uh, an ice ba- you know, this um, base in Alaska, um, in um, Antarctica. Whereas Carpenter's film is very much more uh, based upon the actual original short story, Who Goes There?, uh, but also has the most amazing um, creature effects by Rob Bottin, and, and and at the time it bombed hugely. It came out the same summer as ET, which which killed it dead. But I think since then it's been you know it's been reevaluated, and it is now considered to be an absolute classic, one of the great horror films of all time, and uh, certainly one of the best remakes of all time. A film that's vastly superior to the original film, uh, and changes it and improves on it in every conceivable way. It's got a great cast of completely male cast, um, which is unusual. Um, and uh, particularly um, uh, Kurt Russell is fantastic as McCready in the lead role. But everyone is good, and a really good cast of character actors. And I believe uh, Mr. Botwright's one of our favourite films, isn't it? Yes, it is indeed. Um, in fact, I, I only read Who Goes There quite recently, um, and I was a little bit shocked to see just how, just how much closer Carpenter's vision stays to the story. Um, I'd always assumed, because obviously... Um, uh, the original film was much closer in period to when the the short story was written. That those would be the ones that, should we say, um, kind of converged, and that Carpenter had added in the the kind of, you know, the horror aspect of it a bit more, and that took a little bit more license with it. But yeah, as I say, I was, I was pleasantly surprised to see just how close it kept to not just plot points, but it, it really kind of got the essence of, of the story, which was about paranoia and about what makes what makes you human and how you can tell that from an imitation. Um, yep, I absolutely love the film, just because I think there's a, a sad lack of synth in modern films. If you want something dystopian, if you want something kind of, you know, bleak, add in a decent bit of synth, and then that, that usually does the trick for me. So then what do you make of the remake of the remake? I haven't <laughs> seen it. Well, it's a, a remake slash prequel, um, and it's. Well, I mean, it's not, it's awful because it's just. How do you define a remake? I mean, there's the there's the point. I mean, they're both from the same source material, so is is it just a reinterpretation? You know, it is essentially it is meant to be a prequel, so it takes place before the the, the Carpenter film, and it ends effectively with 
where the Carpenter film begins. So it is a prequel, but in terms of structure, it's essentially a shot by shot remake of of the thing, you know, with the same, with the, except this time, well, well, there's a female protagonist rather than a male protagonist, but everyone else is male. Um, and that's the only real major difference. Otherwise, there's lots of the same things, you know, with obviously people being taken over by the thing and then having these mutations and turning into other creatures. But essentially, it's a remake in the guise of a prequel. That's what it effectively is. So it's um, almost it like kind you- of, almost like kind of Evil Dead and Evil Dead Two syndrome, where it's kind of yeah, yeah. Um, that's a sequel that is masquerade, uh, a remake masquerading as a sequel, isn't it? Um, and in, in that case, would would class as a great remake, in fact, because Evil Dead Two is brilliant. There's lots of great. I mean, if you, there's an awful lot of remakes where they've taken a foreign film and made an, uh, uh, an English language version of it, and, and quite often that can be successful. I mean, certainly, Fistful of Dollars, which is a remake of Yojimbo, the uh, Kurosawa movie. Uh, there's also Magnificent Seven, which again is a remake of Seven Samurai by Kurosawa. Um, I've always been quite partial to Martin Scorsese's version of. Well, his film, The Departed, is a remake of a Hong Kong movie called Infernal Affairs, although I think Infernal Affairs ultimately is a superior film, but Departed is a good remake. Um, Twelve Monkeys. Yeah, have you, has anyone seen Le Jeté? No. <laughs> well, Bless yeah. you. Um, I like Philip Kaufman's remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers 1978, which has got the bit with the dog with the man's head on it, which is awesome. Uh, really, really unnerving. I thought the Coen Brothers remake of True Grit was pretty good as well. Yes, actually, that's. Oh yeah, that was good. I like that. I would definitely say David Cronenberg's remake of The Fly is vastly superior to the original film. Now you see, but what you're hitting, there's something you're hitting on here, which is that, um, with a very few noble exceptions, horror movies, up and unless they were ones based around what you didn't, I mean, something which was a monster movie, was fundamentally schlocky and pretty embarrassing, and uh, right up until the point where the effects and you know visual rather than cgi reached a point where it just became they you know they reached a point a, a level of plausibility so in what the thing and the fly have in common is that with you know 1950s man in a big rubber suit syndrome there's a, there's only so much that they could realistically do and then that they they benefit from the magic happening when you know the the, the level of effects and what can be done with them it improves. I I would also concede in both cases that direction, acting, and the rest of it improve with it. But I would say it was easier to act off against something which is visually unsettling than it is against you know an extra in a big rubber suit. That's a fair point. I mean, there's a degree of truth to that. I, I do think that the thing in particular does benefit from actually going back to the source material and, and being closer to it and maintain that sense of paranoia, which is funny because you thought it would have been ideal for the 1950s when paranoia was so rampant and everyone was looking for reds under the bed and that kind of stuff. Um, but a, 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 for example of a film, not a horror film or a science fiction film, but where I think the remake, again, benefited from more lax modern morals perhaps, is the remake of Scarface by De Palma which retains essentially the same plot as, as a 1930s Scarface of Paul Muni, but obviously throws in, uh, you know, rather than being a, a t- Italian gangster in New York, it's a, a, um, a Cuban gangster in, in Miami with shed loads of cocaine, drugs, sex, violence, and tons of swearing and, and an over-the-top performance of Al Pacino. That, oh, you know, I can see why become... you like it. Love it, yeah. It's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember when it came out. I remember when it came out. It was a massive backlash against it because you know it was accused of being incredibly violent and everything like that. And of course, by today's standards, it's, it's pretty tame. 
Yeah, but it was another same kind of protest of Wolf of Wall Street as well, saying it was you know it was glorifying. Yeah, yeah, that kind of lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Wolf of Wall Street does to a certain extent, and the protagonist doesn't really sort of get, gets away with it to it as well. But you know, if if it's funny and it works, what's the problem? I don't I don't mind the fact that he's an important character or or, or that it, 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 it glorifies something. You know, it, ultimately, I find it very funny, and that was I think the point. Um, there is one which I've I have to say I've seen both by accident. I, I saw the remake first. And then during a particularly slow day, actually not that, but literally about a year ago when my son was born and I couldn't do very much. Um, 310 to Yuma. Mm. Now, I think I have to say, having seen the original, it, that's by no means a bad film, but I do think the remake is better. Um, I think that's a very effective reimagining. And I, I and actually, you know, what I was saying about props and stuff, that doesn't necessarily bear true with that. I think it's just, an, a, just a, a, a tighter piece of filmmaking. I quite like it. Um, and I like Spielberg's remake of War of the Worlds. I think um, he takes it in a different direction entirely. Yeah, well, yeah post the original, original is, is pure yeah. Cold War. Um, yes, and again, absolutely. suffers from, from crap monsters. Don't get the me wrong, spaceships are fantastic, <laughs> monsters are bollocks. So, the original's pure Cold War, and the remake is pure post 9 11. Yes. Right? Yeah. And I think it upset a lot of people. It wasn't the movie that, that they thought they were going to get to see. Whereas I, th- I thought it was a great movie. but it's a fantastic movie, yeah. Yeah. And interestingly, Tom Cruise plays such an unsympathetic character. He's not a hero at all. He basically legs it. He's useless. He runs away all the time. Um, he's a shit father. It's it's interesting that he would take a role that was so unstarry for a big film star to take. But I thought it was a vastly underrated film. Does Fargo count, the TV series? Is that, is that no. a remake? Can you class that as a remake? No, no it's an inspired no. by so that's, really, that's all I've got to say. <laughs> I'm done. Yeah, well, on that bombshell, uh, that is unfortunately all we've got time for uh, this week. If you have your suggestions for the best movie remakes, uh, then leave them below underneath this podcast in the podcast forum. Uh, give us your suggestions, and if there's any decent ones, we'll, we'll probably discuss them in two weeks' time when we come back. Um, but like I say, that's all we've got time for. My thanks to Steve Withers. Things are going to get a hell of a lot worse before they get any better. Mark Hodgkinson. Don't argue with him. Mark Botwright. Cheating bitch. Ed Selly. Wait a second, sorry, I've actually killed the tab whilst I was <laughs> looking for something else. I don't remember that. That could like. be a quote. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who to trust. Sorry, was that your quote? Yeah. <laughs> <All right. laughs> don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, bookmarkavforums.com for latest news, reviews and video. And why not leave us a rating on iTunes if you enjoyed the show. Don't forget, we're not here next Wednesday. We'll see you again in two weeks' time. 